0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. you. everybody this is jack just hopping in quickly to let you know that about 15 minutes into this episode there's a little bit of audio distortion uh obviously one of the perils of recording remotely so the content is so good that we figured it would be better to keep everything in even though it's a little bit broken up rather than cut that part of uh the episode entirely so enjoy the episode and hang with that audio a little bit because the things that violet is saying are great
1: I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is poetry spoken here. Our feature is Violet Defang. She is a documentarian. She has been awarded the an Emmy for her work. This is new territory for me, but the nominations are called outstanding historical programming in long form. She has a new film called Hidden Letters, and the content is rather amazing. It's called Hidden Letters, and it's about a secret language that women developed in a southern region of China so they could communicate to each other, support each other in this very oppressive society in which they were living. The men could not read this stuff. It was woman to woman. So Violet, I'm so glad you're here to tell us about this because it's just fascinating.
2: (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, I think probably... A place to start because i have an idea but maybe you mm-hmm. could just characterize a bit what the situation was like for women back then when they developed it what would their yeah, life so, be like
2: so this secret language is called Yushu, and it's originated from the secluded area in central china um, called hunan province and um, it started I think the earliest record you can find of the writing in Yushu is about 400 years ago. That's at the end of Ming Dynasty and beginning of Qing Dynasty. But actually, many people say that it could probably be traced much earlier. Um, The reason that the earliest record that you can only find is about 400 years ago is because the writing that these women wrote usually were burned with them when they died because they wanted to keep um the love that their um sisters who wrote these letters to them um even after life so that's that's kind of why that they wanted to keep the secret going even after they died and 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 also they wanted to continue to keep it as um something that it can hold dear to them anyway so um that was like, you know, in China, there's thousands of years of feudal society. And in that area, which is super secluded, and also that's also an area that's kind of most of the people there live on agricultural. So there are actually most of them are peasants um, and most of them, many of them are really, really poor. So under the, those circumstances, under feudal society, um, you know, we have... Um, for women, they were born to obey their their fathers, their husbands, and their sons. Um, and not only that, they have on feet and um, they were confined in a chamber room most of the times. Um, and they were denied rights of education. Um, for, for them, their, their life of misery usually really began when they um, started their arranged marriage um, because they usually have never seen their husband before. And after the, you know, they started their married lives, they were kind of servants, or slaves to their husbands, and you know, their life usually was really unbearable. So, um, in those in those area at its peak, it's about like, you know, like um, I think about 10 villages around this area that women decided to create a language among themselves. And not only they created this written language among themselves, um, they would write poems and songs and unfolded uh, fans and also um, uh, handkerchiefs to correspond to each other. Um, and on top of that, they created, um, a very intentionally structured sisterhood among each other so they can lift each other up and they can support each other for their lifetime. Wow.
1: How did they get the, a a poem from one to the other? How, how could you get it to somebody?
2: Yeah. So before you got married, uh, you know, like they will have, you know, each woman, um, each girl you know have their swan sisters that they will have this relationship with and then they they might have more than one swan sister so they have this like very close and tight relationship with other girls you know from the same village and they grow up together they can write to each other because they're more at those times (laughs) that was more probably mobile but after Mm -hmm. they got married chances are they'll be married off to another village. So mm-hmm. there's usually no transportation for them to come back. So at that time, when they wrote to each other, they have to rely on somebody, a th- you know, a third person who happened to go back to their village and then will, you know, mm-hmm. take their letters back. Um, and, but at the time, even if it was men, cause they don't understand the language. So it was okay for them to still write freely as how they feel about each other. Um, yeah, but it became harder after they got married to keep the correspondence to each other, but they still do.
1: Do we have a lot of these letters now? I mean, do you have a, a few hundred or maybe, or do you have thousands? Is there much of an archive? Because uh, so many were I, lost, you know.
2: I don't know the exact numbers, but um, when I did research, because Nushu was kind of rediscovered in early 1980s um, by this low-level bureaucrat from the area um, when he went into these villages and accidentally realized that Nixu somehow was still alive because some of the older people were still able to practice it. That was in early 1980s. But most of the writings at that point were either burned or... um, destroyed um because of the culture during the cultural Revolution, all of the women who was were known uh, to practice in were treated like ghosts so everybody was hiding their understanding of like they actually knew nishu, and all their writings were destroyed or burned uh, during oh, wow. those period of time so so when i went to do research i tend to go back to the earlier time in the 1980s when anthropologists um went into these villages and then talked to you know all the old people oh. and then um discovered these poems i i don't know i didn't really count um but um probably in the hundreds because it's it's not only poems there's also songs so even like the younger girls were able to sing those songs that it was passed down from generation to generation so they would transcribe those songs as well so between the songs and the poems yeah i i i can i'm not an expert in yeah. this i cannot say the exact numbers um, but um <clears throat> yeah probably a few hundred or something a few
1: hundred okay wow uh, so why do we hear uh, one of these poems you said you were you you worked very hard to select poems <laughs> that illustrated Yeah. so, uh, yeah, let's hear one of them.
2: So let me read to you um, the poem that I use in the opening of the film. I really love this poem because it showed you the way that they wrote in poetry um, as peasants, uh, because they're, you know, like what they're thinking about using the metaphors and those kind of symbols are items near their, you know, like. In, in in their life environment uh, as peasants which is really unique and also really um it grounds you to to, to a very uh, unique way. Um, and also it just tells you the power of the sister's sisterhood to 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 those women. So this is the poem um, that I I wanted to share with you first. Um, there's, I mean, all of those poems have no name because, um, you know, they just kind of mm-hmm. like wrote in a style of like letters to each other, mm-hmm. but also it doesn't have signatures too. <laughs> so you don't really know who wrote these letters. Um, but it also make yeah. you to imagine that, you know, it could be from any of those women under yeah. living under those contacts in a beautiful spring with a crescent moon. These are my sincere words to you. You're not the only ones who suffer. Some are in more dire situations. Green onions stand upright all the time. Garlic shoots bend throughout their lives. Mountain trees are magnificent. Green grasses have their own dignity. Some mountains are higher, some lower. It's our destiny to be together and make up our lives. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah, you're right. Using onions and garlic to make your point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but in in terms of of poetry, it's not that unlike what a lot of other of the well-known Chinese poets have written over the years. Mm -hmm. I've got a whole bunch of books of Zen poets uh, here. And uh, yeah, that sounds like a familiar style.
2: Absolutely, and, and also like these poems were translated, so they do have a very particular format in these mm-hmm. poetries that these women wrote. And not only they wrote in a particular format, um, even for letters, when a woman received a letter from her swan sister, um, they will chant the letter. So they oh. will use the format of like saying, um, letters that they receive it's really beautiful
1: wow do you know where 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 the term swan sister comes from by the way i hadn't heard it till you said it (laughs) didn't run into that
2: (laughs) it's also a translation right so it actually means um that they vow to be sisters um of their lifetime so basically it's it's even like they will go through even like a wedding ceremony for these women that when they decided oh. that they're going to bond together as sisters, they will write each other a vow. Um oh. and then they will come together and there's a cer- like a ceremony, um, almost. And then they will read the vows to each other in a way that's chanting. And they will they will write how they feel about each other and what it means of this relationship and how they're going to support each other. Uh-huh. So, so, and it can come in three or four, it can come in seven or eight, you know, like, uh-huh. and, and so like, it's, it's really a structure. And it even started when a girl started Bound Feet. It's actually, um, you know, her parents will look for another girl of the same age in the village and uh-huh. um, it's sort of like not arranged marriage, but arranged sisterhood. Right. So, so the parents will, will find another sister and then they will become, you know, they would, they will exchange vows and then under the, under the witness of, of both of their parents. Um, and after that, they will spend, they can spend days and months and years together in the chamber room, doing embroidery, studying issue together, writing poetry and, um, Saying usual songs so oh. you know that's how their relationship unfolds and then making sure that it's a bond that, that will be inseparable
1: Oh wow that's a really nice that's a nice one from out of those of that yeah. dark era that's a nice social Absolutely. Uh, practice wow
2: yeah so in the film that when we have one of the last living masters Yanxin, who i casted in a film is a with a really marvelous um you know unusual practitioner and also really marvelous you know um woman and human being she's just like a fearless um so she mentioned that her happiest time of her lifetime were those days when she had girls you know like more than 10 girls would spend like every day in her chamber room and they would just play Mm -hmm. uh learning things or go out to play in the film all together and you know like she's still like um yeah she still cries over those days because that was really the best days of her life wow
1: yeah and she folks when you get to see this film she is a wonderful person yeah you can tell by the way mention when the film's going when the film is released and available and all that sort of thing would you
2: Yes. So so the film is going to be uh, theatrical release from December 9th uh, in the U.S. So that's coming up pretty soon. And it's going to be theatrical released in New York, L.A., uh, San Francisco area, um, Hawaii. And uh, I think there are a couple of other areas that uh, we're working on. Also, Mm -hmm. we're opening in uh, London, December 2nd. at the, the dog House. Um, so in New York, it's yeah. going to be at the Landmark Quad on December 9th. Um, it's, we're going to open at in LA, uh, Orange County area at the Lake Forest, uh, Regal Foothill Town Center Whoa. on December 9th. Um, we're also going to have an opening um, red carpet uh, screening in Ooh. LA at the Lamarley <laughs> Royal on December 11th. Um, oh, I forgot to mention uh, Boulder, <laughs> Boulder, Colorado on December 15th. So, I, I mean, like uh, everybody can just go to our website at hiddenlettersfilm.com and all the ticket info and theatrical release info are on our website.
1: There you go. Mm-hmm. And right, right now I'm expecting people will hear you talking on December 2nd. So they can jump right out and get tickets. <laughs> That's and right. afterward the film will be available so you'll be able to get to see it it's really quite interesting mentioning that they chanted the things reminded me uh i didn't quite get all of it about how what's going on today but the the singing and dancing performances uh, is that um is that the good stuff or is that somebody commercializing it or what is that there are apparently performances these days of New Shoe. And I don't know quite what that means exactly.
2: Yeah, so that's that's part of the branding, right? Um, it is part of the commercialization. Um, uh. Sadly, but, but, you know, like many people argue that we also mentioned in the film that to commercialize New Shoe is the only way to keep it alive. Mm-hmm right you know still today um but what's sad about it is i think a lot of people try to profit from it without really understanding the true legacy and meaning of it in a way that they're actually capitalizing it um that's actually co-opting it um that's actually reinterpreting it usual in a way that's opposite from <laughs> what it was original intent was yes, so what I find it fascinating is when yeah. I realized how mutual was being commercialized and, and capitalized I started to see that in many of these events it's very interesting to see men's reaction to new today because to me their reaction to new has a place of reflection of how they react to women still today. So that's why that I'm, you know, like kind of using these scenes as a way, not only to see the evolvement of how New Shu progress into Mm -hmm. today's context, but also how men is perceiving women in today's context and how our gender perceptions, the, the gap of our understanding of gender perception is, so vast <laughs> still, um, today. So, and I thought that's really interesting to use "new Shoe as a metaphor to to capture all of those.
1: Yeah, it, it was real surprising when this suddenly came up, and and these some of these marketing people were just totally crass. It's like let's have new Shoe Cheerios or something. Or there was that an ad or something with Kentucky Fried Chicken. KFC and they're talking about new shoe and fried chicken or like what? But that's capitalism.
2: Yeah, that is capitalism. And also I wanted to make a point that that's actually very much of my point of view of when I went back to China, of how capitalism played a role in damaging the gender equality in a lot of ways. Mm. You know, like when we're in a society before when you know, there's no gender income gap at all. Everybody was making the same. A lot of the problem that we're facing now is originated from the gender income gap that we're having. And despite of, you know, how women or girls actually perform a lot better um, than than men academically, you know, as soon as you start your career, professional life, it's just there's a ceiling for women Um, because, you know, like people see us as you know reproduction tools you know like we have to bear children all that and go back to our family and all that so like we get a lot of this information um because of that in china it's even become a taboo um not a taboo it's even become sort of like a, a you know like uh a rule that people don't really talk about but it's like everywhere that if you are a woman it's much harder to be hired even before you get married, because they know that you're gonna be married, you're gonna have kids, or like women who have two kids, it's even being labeled as terrible So like there's all of these kind of like mm. discrimination that comes with yeah. um capitalism well, that hear an- is not familiar to us before. Yeah.
1: Well, let's hear another poem.
2: Okay. Um, okay. so this is a poem that really shows you the sufferings that these women were um, enduring back in those days. It's not long, but it's super, super powerful. It goes like this. An 18 year old girl, a three year old boy, she washed his feet and put him to bed in the evening. Awakened by his cry for breastfeeding during the night, she says, but I'm your wife,
1: not your mom. Hmm. As you said, they can just express it there in these poems. Is there any anthology of uh, Nishu poetry? I mean, could someone get a collection of these poems somewhere?
2: Yeah, there, there are. Well, there are some poems that's actually translated in English that you can find on Amazon. Uh, there is one called Ballads of Heroine, uh, Changyong Heroin or something. That book is actually really interesting because it translates all the uh, the ballads that Niu Shu mm. had. And many of these ballads, you know, are also exist a different version in classic Chinese literature. But the Niu Shu version is kind of different because... It anchors on woman's experience of the what, same story.
1: Yeah. yeah. Was it what? What was the most surprising? Can I call surprising? Thing that you ran into doing this research and doing the documentary.
2: Um. Well, the surprising thing is it, is the commercialization part. Hmm. Um. It is surprising, but it's not surprising to me. Uh, it's not surprising because everything in China was being commercialized. Um, you know, every culture products was commercialized. So, for new being commercialized as part of that, um, and I don't feel surprised, yeah. but at the same time, it's the last thing that women created just for themselves and intentionally as a way to you know, defying the system intentionally as a way for men to not to understand it. But even that is being co-opted now many times by men as well. So that is surprising to me. And, you know, like a lot of times that people don't really, you know, spend that much efforts even to try to understand the circumstances, why these poems were created, why these women... Wanted to have yeah. their own language, um, but just merely to take it as a way to, um, to confine women again, you yeah. know. So that to me is shocking.
1: Well, you've done a great you've done a great job. The documentary is extremely interesting, and the way you you came up with the idea of using a contemporary pair of young women who are both working with with Nushu. And the old master is just, just really fabulous. I think people are going to really, when they see this, they're going to really like it. We're about out of time. Would you like to read another I know the poems are short. Maybe we can just hear another poem and then that wraps it up.
2: So this is a poem that I wanted to read about really, um, the love between sisters that they have Mm. and, uh, so it's it's about sisterhood, and you actually um, have a you know like a lot of these poems that they will use um, birds or like um, trees to describe their relationship. It's it's really beautiful. So this this um, poem goes like this: We three and four swore to be sisters, like beautiful flowers and tree blossom in the same garden. Like rivers converge from thousands of miles apart, like birds rest on the same tree and chirp together. I have another poem that actually, I didn't use it in a film, but it's also really lovely about sisterhood. And this is actually describing the sisterhood that they had in later of their years. Um, oh. So-
1: Oh good, do it.
2: It's it's actually um, talking about their relationship and as the older, you know, mm-hmm. generation together, which is also really beautiful. It goes like this. We swore sisterhood not when we were young, but in our 60s and 70s. We were not afraid that people would laugh at us. We were only angry that we had waited so long. A bridge across a long river to be walked for a lifetime. This one sisterhood of we seven would go on and last forever.
1: Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been just really great, folks. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. Our guest today is Violet Defang. She is a documentarian who's done a wonderful documentary called Hidden Letters about the secret language developed by women in China a few hundred years ago. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you you've been listening to poetry spoken here I'm Charlie Rossiter inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Monley and remember poetry spoken here is more than a podcast You can like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Poetry Spoken Here. Follow us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Poetry Spoken Here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, PoetrySpokenHere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, Poetry Spoken Here at gmail.com